0: They come in a whole variety of different shapes and sizes these days, but hey-ho, that's a light bulb. You knew that, didn't you? You recognize them. We've all got them. They are useful things, aren't they? But they're not not very useful um, just by themselves. If you've not got a fitting to put it into, if you've not got some power coming, then this all by itself just not very useful. And there's probably other things you've got at home. In fact, probably you've at some time or other, I imagine most of you come across something in the house and you've thought, what is that? You know, it's it's from something, you know, but I, I can't quite for the moment recognize, what's it from? And it just looks a wee useless thing until you remember what it's fallen out of and you put it back in its place and then you think, ah, right, that's what it is. That's what it's for. That makes sense now. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 is, is saying something similar about the church. He's saying the church has a place and a context. And it is only when we see the church in her larger context that the proper worth and function of the church becomes apparent. Only when we put the church in the place that the apostle gives it in Ephesians chapter 1 do we say, ah, right, that's how it works, that's what it is, that's what it's for. He's been painting in verses 3 to 14 that we looked at last week, something of the bigger picture, the wider canvas, a creation of a God, Father, Son, and Spirit who loves us and who loved us before time. And although that creation has been spoiled by sin, this God, Father, Son, and Spirit was going to rescue and restore that creation. It was life that was by God and for God. And the church took its place in that context as the people who had received this salvation and then who were called to to live that way of salvation. And so the church takes its place there without recognizing and realizing that it's a God who created the world with purpose, without realizing and recognizing that that world had been spoiled and ruined through sin, without realizing and recognizing that that God was committed to restoring his world, And he was going to do it through the gift of his Son as a Savior, who would come among us as one of us, who would live and love, who would die and rise again for us. And without realizing and recognizing that this is not all there is, but in fact there's much more in store than there is a kingdom to come, whose fullness is far greater than what we know and taste here, without recognizing that sweep, and it's the sweep that we would confess week by week in the Apostles' Creed. It begins with the creation and goes to that final hope. Without realizing and recognizing that, we do not really, the Apostle was saying, understand how and where the church fits in. And we don't get the purpose of it. And we don't get any kind of usefulness from it in the same way as you don't get any usefulness really from the light bulb without having a fitting to put it in, without having a context and a place for it. And that gospel message is that the church then is the people of God chosen and saved by him to do his work and his will in the world. Is that what we got and grasped in belief? How would we know if somebody had grasped that? Well, you would, for one thing, you wouldn't hear them saying things like, the church is there if I need it. Nor would they be saying things like, I can be a good Christian without going to church. Nor would they be saying, well, I didn't get much out of that as though it was some kind of product for us to consume. These things give away the fact that we haven't really grasped what the church is and what it's for. And there are other ways, too, in which we can tell if someone has truly understood what the apostle is saying in these verses. In one such way is how, or maybe even before how, whether or not, whether or not, and then how we pray. For what we have in verses 15 to 23 in the passage that um, Leslie read for us is the follow on from the passage we looked at last week. It's here is the thanksgiving and prayer that comes because of the realities he has been talking about. So he begins verse 15 for this reason. For what reason? Well, for the reasons that he's just been talking about, verses 3 to 14. Because of this story, because of this salvation, because of this, who this, this is who God is, and because this is what God has called us to and is working with, is for this reason, he says he prays. It is God who's been at work in their lives. It's God who brings people to faith. And so the apostle thanks God. He's not stopped giving thanks for these people, verse 16. Now, it would make no sense to thank God for something that he had nothing to do with. Suppose two people are are talking, and the first one says, thanks for the birthday card you sent me. And the second one says, I didn't send you a birthday card. (laughs) And the first one says, no, I know you didn't, but I want to thank you anyway. (coughs) Wouldn't make any sense. And similarly, verse 16 of Ephesians 1, it doesn't make any sense For the apostle to say, I thank God for all of you, if God had not been involved in that work of salvation in their life, if if the church wasn't God's church, if it wasn't something that he had brought into being through the Holy Spirit, then, then why thank him for it? But Paul knows that it is the work of God, that the church is not simply a human creation, not simply what we make of it, but is the work for God, a work of God. And then, since it is God who is at work to change a people from being self-centered to being Christ-centered, so the apostle is asking God to continue that work in them. Both becoming a Christian and someone being a Christian is only possible because God is at work in their lives, because God does something. So he says, for this reason that he prays. God is most glorified when people come to realize who he is, when people accept his love, when people align themselves with his purposes, when people serve his will, when people are longing for, praying for, and and working for, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's when God gets glory. And if someone is a Christian, then they are part of that overall plan and work of God that he described, that Paul described in verses 3 to 14. And so, for this reason, verse 15, they should be praying for God's activity to grow, for his goodness to be seen. Is that what we want and what we long for? When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, what was he telling us to be seeking? What was he telling us to be looking for? And he was telling, seek first the kingdom of God's command, isn't it? So what was he telling us to look for, to work for? Whatever is of the kingdom of God. So let's suppose for a moment that you had the choice between finding out tomorrow that you have been left a substantial sum in someone's will, or finding out tomorrow that someone that you have known for a long time, but someone who so far had shown no sign of being interested in the Christian gospel, has now become a Christian. Which would you choose? Och, I know what's the right answer to give in church, eh? I know what we feel we ought to be saying. But what would it be? What would you rather have? This whacking five, six-figure summon from somebody's will. and this person you've known for some time has not been interested in the gospel becoming a Christian. That's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about when he says, Seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God doesn't rest in pounds and pence. It doesn't rest in just the things of life, the material stuff. It's the eternal purposes and love of God being realized, being grasped, being celebrated, not just now, but for all eternity. And when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, not seek 17th the kingdom of God or seek 23rd the kingdom of God. When he said seek first the kingdom of God it's, it's those kind of choices. Admittedly that's a very hypothetical one. Unless you're used to getting substantial sums left in the will every week, I don't know. But if not, that's very but, but that's the kind of thing what would it be? What would I most looking for? What am I most wanting? So the Apostle Paul is saying, look at this great plan, this great purpose, this great salvation of God, verses 3 to 14. And for that reason, because of it, that's what I want to get excited about. And he says, verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks. He says, I remember, verse 16. He says in verse 17, I keep asking. And notice, these verbs are what we call the continuous present tense, That is what that means is he prays and goes on praying. I have not stopped giving thanks. I keep asking means not just that he remembered to give thanks for them once on the 22nd of May five years ago, but but he's regularly giving thanks and going on giving thanks. He's asking and he keeps on asking because this is who his God is and what his God is doing. When I was... um, in my, my first charge in, in Rochezi, um, we used to have a, a staff meeting, a team meeting in, in the manse on, on a Monday morning to plan what was going on in the week and so on. And because we were having um, the meeting, um, I would put the telephone answering machine on. So if the telephone rang, the answering machine would deal, deal with it, and we could continue with our meeting. And one morning, they, when we were in the middle of the meeting, the telephone rang. Um, And sure enough, the answering machine clicked on and I I heard it doing doing its stuff and that's fine. We continued with the meeting. But as soon as the answering machine had finished and switched off again, the phone rang a second time. Well, again, I just let it ring and the answering machine did its stuff. And as soon as it had finished, the phone went a third time. Now, at that point, those of us in the room said, there's probably somebody desperately trying to get through to us. There's somebody probably who knows, A, that we're there, B, that we're having a meeting, C, that I switched the answering machine on, but they want to, they, they want to get through to us. So, and sure enough, that's what it was. It was one of the elders of the church who had needed a particular bit of information. She should have got that information from the, the deaconess. The deaconess had forgot to pass it on, and she really needed it. Right away, just to find out something. But the point is that why did that person phone and phone and phone? They phoned and phoned and phoned because they knew the situation. They knew that we would be there. They knew that we were in a meeting. We knew, they knew that we usually put the answering machine on and they needed to get through, so they kept asking, it kept, kept phoning, kept phoning, kept phoning until. But they only kept phoning because they knew if somebody else who didn't know all of that would probably just have phoned once and left a message or not left a message and tried again hours later. But she knew. Now, it's because of what the Apostle Paul knows about God It's because of all that he said in verses 3 to 14 about God loving us, about God having a purpose and a plan, about God being a God who wants to bring salvation, about a God who wants us to to know his love more and more. It's because the apostle knows all of that that he asks and keeps on asking. It's because he knows that and believes that about his God that he's saying, I'm not going to stop giving thanks, and I'm not going to stop asking, because I know, Lord, that you're there, and I know this is what you have, and I know this is what you're about and what you're doing, and I want to see that come to pass. God is so concerned about us that he will do all that is right and good for our eternal inheritance. Now, the trouble is for us, or the challenge is for us, that sometimes, because we are living amongst a people and in a society whose goals in life are personal health and wealth ones, about pleasure and prosperity, so all too easily we absorb that outlook. And so often our prayers are dominated by that perspective— And we're much more inclined, are we not, to pray for someone if they're sitting an exam, if they're about to have an operation, if they're bereaved, if they're going for an interview and so on. And we're much more inclined to ask for prayer when these things are what's going on. Now I'm not saying don't pray for people at these times, but I am saying we should realize, too, that there's far more at stake. And when we, as a church, only pray for one another when there's an exam, when there's an operation, when there's an interview, when there's something like that coming up, we are saying that we're, we're just invested in this, uh, this stuff here. We don't real, we're not really investing in God's eternal kingdom. We're not seeking first the kingdom of God if our prayers do not expand into the kind of eternal issues that Paul mentions in these verses about growing in righteousness, about our peace being made more real, about our joy being extended, about our grasp of God's love lengthening and heightening and deepening and so on. Unless we say that really matters, that really counts, and show that by praying for that, then we're denying that that bit of the gospel is true. For this reason, verse 15, because it's true, I ask and I keep on asking. I give thanks and I keep on giving thanks. There was nowhere else for the apostle to go, to ask for the church to be invigorated, renewed, for the, ask for the church to be effective in mission, for the church to become a more loving people, a more holy living community. Only God could bring these things about. And so he prayed and prayed regularly and continually. And notice in verses 17 to 19 what it is that he was asking for. He was asking that they would have the Spirit of God. Wisdom. That they would know God better. That they would realize the hope that the gospel gives. They would know something of the power of the gospel. And the power of God in their lives. As he's asking for something quite precise and definite. He doesn't want them to miss out on what God has in store for them. He doesn't want them simply to think that God is in some way in favor of them, in some kind of very general but vague sense. But he specifically wants those things to be deepened and enriched. Is that how you would pray for the church? We need God's help to see that and to be made ready for that. Paul's main concern is to pray for a display of God's power in the church so that who they are and how they live fits with the purposes and the calling of God. Now, is that how we pray for the church? When we pray, do we just Remember the exams, the incidents? Or do we think, what would best glorify God? What would most please God? What would most show His love and power before a watching world? Again, on our behalf, were you to choose between some generous legacy and greater faith and love shown in how we worship and witness and so on? what would you choose? Paul prays in line with what he knows of God's will, because God is more interested in our holiness than he is in our comfort. God more greatly delights in the integrity and the purity of his church than in the material well-being or the health of its members. God shows himself more clearly to men and women who enjoy him and who obey him than to men and women whose horizons revolve around their own comfort, health, leisure, and so on. He prefers that his people live in disciplined gratitude and holy joy, rather than self-reliance and glitzy happiness, or indeed in a quiet what's-for-you-won't-go-by-you kind of thing, or just mind your own business, which is not what the gospel calls us to. Jesus didn't really need to get crucified, did he? If that's all that we were being asked to do, mind our own business. No, the Lord wants us to pursue daily death and taking up our cross to follow Jesus, not simply doing what appeals to us or suits us. is Is it these essential gospel values that shape how you pray for the church? On Judgment Day, when God asks, did you pray for my church, what will you say? When he asks, did you pray for my church as though it was my will that really mattered, that my purposes that really counted, what will you say? Well, do his purposes count more than our ideas and our preferences? is it God's church or is it ours? God is able to do immeasurably more than we might ask or imagine, not only because he is powerful, but because he is generous. He loves to give good gifts to his children. Might it be that the church in our time has suffered decline because the church hasn 't asked the church hasn't sought, sought first the kingdom of God. Could it be that we are so ineffective in witness and discipleship is so stifled and our praise so half-hearted? Could it, that be why we carry grudges and fears? Could that be why hope is so often faint and joy is so remote? Because we haven't asked and we haven't prayed for one another as the apostle here prays for the church. Now, if anyone thinks, well, I, I would do that, you know, but I don't know where to start. I don't know how to pray like that. I don't know what words to use. God in his wisdom and generosity has sorted that for us. We can use Paul's words here in verses 15 to 23. Or there's another example in Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 14 to the end of the chapter. And there are other examples in the first chapter of other letters that Paul wrote. He doesn't, see, Paul doesn't settle for something like God bless the church, He says so much more. No, I'm not just wanting you to be blessed. I'm wanting you to grow in love. I'm wanting you to have the fruit of righteousness. I'm wanting you to know Jesus better. And we can use these prayers. The Apostle Paul, I promise you, is not going to sue you for copyright. The Lord is not going to say, oh, I've heard that one before. Can you not come up with something more original? He's not. He's heard the Lord's prayer before. <laughs> and that doesn't stop us repeating it, does it? So, use these verses. Why not, every day this week, say, right, for Clemen, I will pray Ephesians chapter 1, <laughs> verses 15 to 23. Do we believe that God wants his church to to grow, to develop, and to mature? Do we believe what Paul has said in verses 3 to 14 about that great purpose and that calling that we have ahead? God has provided prayers like this one in Scripture as an example and as a challenge to us. But also as a help so that we have ideas about what we can say. And it is not that God doesn't want to hear from you. He does. It is not that God doesn't want to bless his people. He does. So, verse 15. For this reason. That it's about God's glory. Which is most realized when his people grow more into his likeness. For that reason, will we pray? It's before